Welcome to another episode of Wild and Exposed Podcast. We've got a really, really full boat tonight. Got uh, Drew Hamilton up in Churchill. Drew, how are you? Coming off polar bear season? Doing well. Just recouping. Got a couple nights sleep under my belt, so I'm ready to start podcasting again. Okay, we've been going back and forth a little bit before this podcast started. And Drew's been whining about all the hard work he's done during polar bear season. And I I want to clear something up. I Aren't the days like three hours long? Yeah, but we're working all three of those hours. Like it's it's just brutal. It's just brutal. No, polar bear season, like you're working, you get up before the sun. So the days where uh, they usually get up at 545 and then you go all the way through, you take people out, you take them to dinner and all this stuff. And then, uh, then I'll be damned if the aurora doesn't come out. And then you're up till one and then you got to start it all over again at 545 and you just do it every day. And uh, like, it's, it's so much fun, but uh, by the time you're done, you're, you're just ready to sleep. Worn down. Worn down. Yep. But the bears are still here. The people are all gone. The bears are still here. This bay hasn't frozen yet. So uh, I'm sure conservation's working overtime trying to keep these bears out of town because they're getting uh, a little anxious. Uh, we thought the ice was going to come. Uh, kind of right around the, oh, like the 15th, 16th, 17th, right in there. Kind of look. And then the the wind went back to the south and blew all that ice offshore. So all these bears are still here and nobody to watch them. Crazy. And Michael Morrow, we, uh, we just finished up a trip. Mike, why don't you let everybody know a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. We uh, went down to Austin, Texas and did a little, what do you want to call it, presentation at a uh, camera shop expo. It was a lot of fun. We got to have some fun, talk to a lot of people. We spent all day there. So we got to talk to tons of different people that are just interested in photography. And I think it was a really successful event. Turns out they liked it so much. They have another shop in Houston. So Brandon and I are going to go to Houston. I think it's the first weekend in December and do the same thing down there. Yeah. So that brings us to Brandon Day, videographer for the Austin trip and the Houston trip. Hi, Ron. Hi, guys. They, they can't see you waving, Brandon. You got to speak. I, I figured that out. I was like, <laughs> we're not in, we're not in Zoom anymore. <laughs> Our guest of honor tonight, Casey Anderson, coming to us from Montana. Welcome, Casey. Thanks for having me, guys. So this is a little cross-podcast contamination. Casey is a host of uh, Sidetracked, Sidetracked with Casey Anderson, and uh, also has Vision Hawk Films. So welcome, Casey. Thanks for giving us a little bit of your time tonight. Look forward to the conversation after after looking at your reel and some of the conservation projects that you've got. Looking forward to hearing a little bit about those. Great. Yeah, look forward to telling you some stories. Yeah, first story you can tell us. You've been You've been around quite a bit. So what is your favorite ever outdoor experience? Whoa. What the? That's a tough one. <laughs> Start out guns a blazing. Yeah, we're not, we're not going to waste any time. Yeah, my favorite outdoor experience. Man, it's, there's so many different levels of that. You know, I think that um, I'm a father of three kids. Um, one's just about to turn four, my oldest. So young kids. And I'm, a, I'm no spring chicken myself. I'm, a, I'm kind of a grandpa dad. I spent most of my younger years adventuring and being anti-child and anti-overpopulation of the earth and wasn't going to have any kids and was just going to be a feral human. Um, but as I got older, I, yeah, uh, made, I guess I uh, wasn't really planning it, but started having had a kid. 
<laughs> and um, it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. So, I mean, some of my outdoor experiences recently with my children, uh, particularly my little four-year-old girl who loves to go out and with me, um, those have high value. I mean, they they may be some of my favorite moments of all time. Just we just climbed up about eleven thousand foot peak about a month ago, and um, I mean, it was a slog for anybody and you know her will to go up there. But that was a wonderful outdoor moment. Um, but before the before the kids, and I, I like to tell the story. This this is a recent one, and one I haven't told very much. Uh, as a filmmaker, you know I'm always looking for these these unique stories. Um, you know, and as a filmmaker, when you get when you go on location and you get your your shot list, and you know, it's usually the same old crap. You know, they want to see mating animals, they want to see animals killing other animals. You know, it's you know the moms nursing their kittens and cubs or whatever. You know, it's just the shot list is usually the same. I like looking for those things that are a little out there, um, a little things that people maybe never seen, um, things that are thought provoking. Um, and the one that happened to me recently, and I would say this is when people do ask me what's my favorite thing I ever filmed or my favorite experience I had in a while, this is right up there, maybe at the top. Um, I was in Patagonia filming Pumas, um, and we had been following this mother with two five-month-old kittens for, gosh, probably about two months at that time. And, you know, you get to know these personalities, and, and the mother was a, she was an assassin, you know, every time she wanted to go kill something, she just did that. She would go kill something. It was like she was so good at it. So we were watching them sleep all day like cats do. And we knew she was going to get up and um, go kill something. And then her two kittens are, you know, both very individual personalities. One was a mama's boy and the other was just the little girl was kind of an independent soul. Um, so as mom got up to hunt, mama's boy was always wondering where she was going to go. And so he kind of would follow and the little independent girl was just sitting there and not following and just doing this really strange behavior. She was just staring like very, almost catatonic at the sky. And at this point I'm sitting in a, a camera truck, right. And I'm, I'm operating a shot over system. So I'm like, you know, basically using remote control, looking at a monitor in front of me and the camera's on top of the truck. And I'm just focusing on her and watching her. I'm like, and I'm talking to the guy driving and I'm just going, what's going on with her? She's just strange. She's just sitting there staring, like not looking. So I, I'm like kind of leaning and looking, is she looking at birds or something, you know, like often they'll cue into the condors that are circling something, um, you know, but I look out kind of like this and I don't see anything, you know, and I just think this is really strange. So I, I just started recording it and this goes on for five minutes as mom and the other male walk off. And she's just, she has not moved at all. And I'm just perplexed. I'm like, something's wrong with her. I don't know what's going on. So I end up opening the door and getting out of the truck. And I just to look around a little bit more. And as I look around, all of a sudden I like, bam, right here where she's looking, where I couldn't see because the roof of the truck is the full moon. And it just struck me so deeply. You know, here's another child of the earth seeing this full moon probably maybe for the first time but in, and she just is at, in awe with it she's just loving it just like i did when i was a little kid and saw it for the first time just like my little girls downstairs that the moon comes up they get excited it's the moon it's the moon and here's this puma you know these bloodthirsty killing machines that's all they don't feel anything they don't they're not they don't think the moon's cool look obviously thinking the moon is the dang coolest thing she's ever seen. 
and just looking at it. And that, those are the moments, man. Those are the cool moments that if you spend a lot of time out in the wild, you get the chance to see. And those, those hit me, man. That hit me hard. And it's, it's still to this day, one of the coolest I've ever seen. I mean, I've seen the craziest kills and the rarest animals and I've seen all this stuff, but it's stuff like that that make the, the big impacts. I always, I always say that I do this to see the things that happen when we're not there. And if you spend enough time out there, they just kind of accept your presence and just start to act naturally. And you can tell when that switch is flipped because they go from looking at you, even taking glances and going back to feeding and take another glance to just totally ignoring your presence. And then when you see the kind of behaviors that you just described that you'd never would expect, it, it never ceases to take me by surprise and just make me understand exactly how little we know. That's right. Now I think that that, I mean, there's so many complexities and intricacies and nuances. And, and we all know we've spent the time, we've watched the animals. They've surprised us over and over. We see their personalities for a lack of a better term. We see their, their individualisms and um, yeah, it's, it's a comp, it's complex out there. And it's hard to tell those stories. It's hard to, you know, it's hard to, even if you see them, it's hard to tell them and share them. But I think that that's the thing that keeps me going out there is like, you got to keep trying because I think when people see things like that, they look at, they'll look at a puma differently, you know, and they just open up their mind. And I think that if a puma can look at the full moon, why not a polar bear? Right. Why not a moose? They all are, man. They all are. That's the bottom line. You know what I think about all the time, and Drew, I know you're going to ask a question, but this just popped into my head. Think about all those moose that get to see Aurora. It's got to be, I don't know, do you know caribou, moose, wolves, all of them, they all got to see Aurora quite often, right? So you got to wonder if they just sit there and look at it and say, you know, who knows what they say, but they got to think about it. They're probably cursing their dichromatic vision. Yeah, I always, I've always wondered what it looks like to polar bears. They, I mean, they're not, they're missing, you know, not quite seeing the greens the way we are, but it's got to be, it's got to be something like they've got the best seat in the house. And I, I, you know, and Casey, that, that reminded me of just some special moments of like watching bears watch sunsets and just the, it's moments like that that give you unique insights and really chip away the facade that's been thrown up and especially with predators and things like that, uh, really chip away at that facade that's been thrown at you for uh for so long and so suddenly they become their own individuals and creatures uh right before your eyes so yeah those moments well i are... shared i shared a moment with you drew and mcneil when we watched the sunset that... together let's <laughs> yeah. let's get this let's get this out in the open whatever it is let's get it out in the open <laughs> casey you really dropped the ball on the, on the best wildlife moment since we have camped together uh like you really just I mean, your, your Puma story is probably a close second, and I understand that. But uh, we, <laughs> we did have some good times out of McNeil together. They're good. No, but the one, you know, the one, the one that really struck me there, man, that I've, I actually recently kind of reached out to you because I wanted to get the, the details, but it was that Braveheart story. You know, this same thing, this bear, this bear there in McNeil. And I mean, obviously, Drew knows this story better than I do, and he can fill in here, but you know, you watch these bears and, and, you know, bear, you've seen, you've seen it all. If you've seen it, you know, fish, fishing for salmon, you know, you got the big bear gets the best fishing hole and you got the bear that snorkels and you got the bear that catches it in its mouth. The stuff you see at Brooks, right? All the stuff you see at Brooks. 
But then, you know, you sit there and we had, I think one point we had 43 bears at McNeil that day. And you just start, you see all the individuals and they're doing a lot of the same stuff. But this Braveheart bear, that's what you called it. He had this tactic. I just loved it where, you know, there's these certain boulders that are really great fishing. And then the eddies, and that's where the big bears go to sit. And you got to be a t- pretty tough dude to be sitting at those perfect fishing holes. Well, he realized that he was a, he could be a boulder. So he'd just go put his butt anywhere in the river he wanted to and just sit there. And that eddy would create in front of him. The fish would start stacking up. And all he had to do was just leap forward. And he'd ke- he was catching more fish than anybody. And, it, you, know, you know, that's something that, you know, I highly doubt he learned from his mom. But he was opportunistic and the dots connected. And he realized he could do that. And it was really effective. And I just thought it was so funny just to watch him do it over and over again. And again, just these little quirky intricacies, individual personalities, and was working. And I mean, and that's that was a really obvious one. I mean, think of all the things that we don't even notice, right? That all these individuals have. Yeah, was the guy was another cool, a cool story. I tell that story all the time. And I, I do have to give you big kudos, Casey, because uh, while you're at McNeil, there was a, a fun game that we used to play that would entertain the staff, and it was called Where's Braveheart. And uh, so Braveheart at the time was a pretty, pretty, he's huge now. He's one of the bigger bears there now. Um, But at the time he was just kind of a middle sized male bear, kind of, kind of nondescript if you weren't, didn't have an eye for it. And so I'd always point him out. Like he was the first bear I'd point out. And then about two hours later, not when he was doing his unique fishing style, but when he was somewhere doing bear, other bear stuff, I'd, I'd just be like, Hey, okay, where's Braveheart? And I don't remember if you were the first or the only person who was ever able to be like, oh, no, he's right there. Like you, you well, nailed a lot of, of bears. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, that's the one thing. I mean, probably, I mean, a lot of your guests and people that go there, I mean, they probably look at bears a lot, but I stare at, I mean, think about it. I, I there's for about 20 years there, I'd go out and film bears all day long and then I'd come home to one. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, I, it's, uh, I stare at bears a lot. So I, I can, the little tiniest little things I can detail that I usually can see. So I, I'm, I would be proud to be the only one. It, it was not many. It was, it's an exclusive club that we're able to identify him through, through space and time like that. So, uh, how long ago was that? What year was that? 2014. 2014. Okay. Yeah, and you were you were working on a, a film project. I remember you and John Shire. We weighed your packs one day, and one was like 118 pounds, and one was. Uh, we, I didn't offer to carry anything, but I, I marveled at the fact that <laughs> one pack was 118, and the other was like 112 pounds or something like. That. Yeah, and we and John and I at the time. John John's still a great friend of mine, and it was funny because that we had prior to that we had been to Brooks and we'd been spent. Uh, almost a almost a month actually a month in in Hallow bay prior to that and carrying that same stuff so we were we had whipped into quick shape but we were competitive you know we'd wake up in the morning in the tent and we'd pack our packs and we did you know if there was an extra battery we wanted it in our pack we, we did not want to be the guy carrying the lighter pack and it got ridiculous you know it's, i mean because those were ridiculous packs like you said un, over 110 pounds each of them and, and we were carrying those every day for two months. And you had a producer with yeah. a broken foot. We had to carry her once too. She broke her foot in Brooks and we had to carry her ass three <laughs> miles back to the camp. <laughs> Casey, let's take a step even further back from 2014. How did you get your start? 
in the industry or with videography in particular? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it was a funny, I mean, I, I mean, growing up in Montana, I was just always an interest, interested in wildlife. Uh, you know, I used to work at a wildlife rehab place in high school, and then I went to college to study wildlife biology. Um, but in the summer months, I would go to Yellowstone because I was going to school at MSU and, you know, run around down in Yellowstone. And I met a producer from L.A. Um, when I was 18 um, down there. And, you know, he was making this show called Safari at the time. And he was a producer from L.A. He didn't know the difference between a black bear and a grizzly bear, let alone find, could find one. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, I kind of offered my services. I mean, I was a kid that grew up in Montana. I could, you know, I could carry his backpack and I could go find stuff for him. And he, you know, for $50 a day, was a good deal for him. And um, yeah, so that's how I got going. You know, at first I was just a Sherpa, a tracker. I mean, that's, I grew up tracking with my dad and that's, that's all I'm good at really. And I could take, you know, if I could make 50 bucks a day and go do the, what I was like spending 50 bucks in gas to go do every day, um, you know, it was awesome. And so it, it turned, you know, that was the beginning. I mean, it was just, I would take stuff out there and then, you know, I'd be in the field with him and, you know, he'd be like, yeah, you know, I'm going to go over here and do something. Why don't you just you, here, I'll show you how to use the camera, you know, and then, it, you know, do a little camera work on the side or he'd go back to LA and leave a camera with me. Um, I started help writing stuff. I was doing trips to, to Africa and India with him. Um, and then, yeah, that's how it got going. And then I just really never looked back. I mean, he, uh, he got a big deal. I was on my junior year of college or sophomore year of college. And uh, he's like, you know, you want to spend the rest the next year with me traveling the world, filming wildlife. And uh, I said, yep. Told my mom and dad, I'm done with school. And here I am 30, 30 years, almost to be 30 years next year later. Um, and never look back. I love, I hate telling the kids that story, but it's the way it went. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a great way to get going. It's kind of similar to what Mike, you know, how Mike got, got going with it. Just guiding initially. Yeah. I was a fancy truck driver for a wildlife photographer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's who, who, you know, man, getting your foot in the door. Right. And then working your ass off and showing your skills and be, you know, in the bottom line, let's be honest, half, half the resume is in this industry is being a heck of a nice human to be around. Right. I think that you know, you're all going to get crammed in a tent together or going to be in a crappy hotel together somewhere remote and it's going to be miserable. The last thing you want to do is be in the field with a bunch of jerks. Right. So if you're a nice guy and you work your butt off, you, it's half the battle. Yeah. And if you're 18 and get somebody leaves their toys for you, that doesn't hurt either. You get, get well, a chance to get, get out and stuff. get some footage. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So where did Vision Hawk come from? How long have you been? <laughs> well, that's a, that's a good question. We're going to go full circle here. So Vision Hawk was born in Hollow Bay in the tent with Sean Shire. Um, we we were in there complaining, just like, and yeah, so that was 2014, right? So we were talking about, so we were in the tent complaining about, I think we got a, a sat phone call that, because at the time we had a phantom of, we were shooting the Phantom Flex 4K. Um, that was one of our cameras at the time. And we got a call that they were going to pull the camera out because they didn't have enough time 
earn enough money to keep that camera rented in the field, right? It's a, it's a expensive camera. I mean, the thing's probably renting for a thousand dollars a day or something ridiculous, right? So I get it, right? But so when you're out there trying to tell stories, um, you know, often it's the budgetary things like that that get that cut your time in the field short, right? And we all know when you're out, we we already talked about it. When you spend maximum time in the field, that's when those stories can develop in front of you, and that's when you get the good stuff, right? And so we were complaining. We we're like, you know, we we're just saying, you know, what would be if you owned all your gear <laughs> and you assembled the kind of the, the guys who want to be out there, the passionate guys, what I would call the special forces guys that, you know, that you know, they're good. They're going to be able to be tough enough to be out there. And let's be honest. We're in this game a little bit because we all love to suffer a little bit too. Right. But not all everybody does. I mean, I've been in the field with some guys from over, over the, across the pond that you get them in a tent and they're looking for their, their, tea make too you know they gather them tea every morning and it's not there and they start to fall apart so we want i want to you know so we were talking about we were, we were just two guys carrying 110 pound packs right full of really cool gear and we would have stayed 15 years in alaska if they let us and you know it's like what's the problem here the problem is that we couldn't keep the gear out there and we were complaining about it so i came up with this idea it's like you know i could get an investor i got some guys who believe in what i'm doing i said we could buy some top-notch gear um that won't go obsolete for a while and this is a terrible business idea i mean this is the worst business plan you've ever heard in your life but you know it's like we get it in the right hands we go out there to special forces team we embed ourselves in these places we give ourselves time to tell epic stories the proof will be in the pudding and while it might be the shittiest business plan you've ever heard if we can kick ass we'll prove ourselves and it'll it'll will become sustainable if we're playing the long game right and so that's where it came from. So after that trip in Alaska, I mean, after I saw Braveheart with Drew, it was the next month I went to a couple of friends of mine that have, have money and believe in me. And I pitched it out there. And next thing you know, I've got a lot of money and I'm buying a half a million dollar shot over system. I'm buying the 50 to a thousand lens. I'm buying their newest red at the time. I'm buying all this stuff. And got all this cool gear now and i live on the edge of yellowstone so it's like let's go put it to use man i just you know i'm in the field and just go so i spent the next couple of years doing exactly what that business plan was and it's seeming where here i am vision hawk's still rolling um we're doing more projects so it, it panned out um it was a crazy idea probably delirious from dehydration in hollow bay but it worked you had to be one of the first people out there with a shot over on the i mean i saw him in Alaska and Denali, I'd see a Cineflex or something like that, but it was so rare. You yeah. had to be one of the first ones that had your own and was able to go out and do that. We were, yeah, for sure. And, and that was part of the plan. I and mean, we had to hit it hard. We had to get have the, you know, we had to try to get the best of the best gear, right? I mean, I think I've got, I got that CN20. Uh, I think it's number nine made. Like I got that sucker fast, right? And so now you get that CN20 shot over mounted on a truck system driving through Yellowstone. And yeah, I mean, it's just the stuff, you don't even have to be good. My little girl could shoot the shit and it would still look awesome. <laughs> um, well, I wouldn't go that far, but. <laughs> but it's, it's, uh, you know, and then, you know, and it's just, you know, after 30 years of being in the industry, you know, you know, the people who can shoot the stuff good. You know, the people on the ground that know where all the good stories are, you know? I mean, if I'm going to go to Alaska and I'm going to go film something, I call Drew. 
you know, and I did, I have, I called him last year. He, he let, put me in a good spot and I got some badass stuff <laughs> and it's, um, yeah. So, I mean, it's, and you, you have all these relationships and you just put all, you know, it all comes together, man. And I think that you just got to try hard when I mean, we just try hard and you just got to put yourself in the right places with the right people and do it and do it because you love it. Right. So are you guys producing your own content and then selling it? Or are you still like just mostly becoming crew for some of those production companies across the pond or both? Both. Yeah, we do both. Um, we've more doing our own stuff now. So we're developing our own story ideas. We're pitching them. Um, that's another thing, you know, I, I think that's a big part of the business um, plan. That's hard for most people to, to achieve, but, when I hosted, I hosted a, a series for years on NetGeo. Um, and as the host guy, you know, I got to go and hang out with all the executives all the time. And I got to go to these, these big events where I was, you know, in a room with the, you know, head of Net, head of Discovery, head of NetGeo, head of every, everywhere, right? So I, they all became my friends. So that was part of that vision hot plan is that I had a lot of those contacts. You know, I could pick up the phone and call the head of NetGeo and pitch him an idea. I could call the head of discovery and pitch him an idea. And that's, that's one of the hardest thing hurdles to get. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so I guess to answer your question, we're doing a little bit of both. I mean, we're pitching ideas to those people. Um, and then, you know, there's a lot of big projects going on. I think, you know, we've all probably pieces of worked on and like a lot of what the people are doing over there in Bristol, you know, you got the Plimsolls and the wild stars and the wild spaces and, and all the wilds. Um, and, you know, and they've been doing these big epic blue chip stuff and you know we've got the gear we've got the know-how the reputation so if they need you know mount lines in the grand canyon they'll call call me and say hey you can do mount lines in grand canyon I'm like let's do it yeah so i think it's hard to turn those down they're good money they're good fun um and they yeah they pay the bills when you're you know developing stuff and pitching it yeah, that's that's a long answer of that question. Casey, I think you also have the distinction of being the only uh, guest we've ever had on here who uh, who had their own video game. I did have my own video game, yeah. <laughs> I know I forget about that sometimes. If people remind me, and I think that, that actually is kind of cool. <laughs> I played it over at my was, friend's uh, house with his friend's kids. It was super fun. I think I was catching that was what that was that was a cool thing to develop because that same thing when they when they uh they came to us and said, Hey, we're, you know, we got this Xbox and this new, and you know, it was back in that connect days. They were, so they were just starting the connect thing and they, they wanted to develop a show or a game that, you know, a grandma could go buy her kid that was her grandkid that's eight years old and not feel bad about it. And if you look, if you go and looked at the time, all the Xbox connect thing were like, what can you kill? What can you smash? You know? And this one was a cool, it was a cool, innovative way of immersing people where they could become the animal. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a weird process. Cause I mean, I found myself in front of green screens and uh, you know, all the boy, if you listen, if you play the game, it's hilarious. Cause it's like everything is like, good job. You've got three <laughs> points. I mean, I sat in a recording booth for three days, just like saying like the craze, all the X, you know, every X, expletive you could not expletive you know what i'm saying <laughs> i probably said a lot of that i said that too <laughs> suddenly graham's gonna um, take that game back <laughs> i said awesome cool way to go high five you know good yeah everything good job i mean i said every one of you could have imagined and uh it was a weird experience but it, it, it actually did really well um there was no 
part two, but yeah. <laughs> what was it called? What was the name of the game? It had a really terrible name. Maybe that's why there was part no part two. It was like X, uh, Nat Geo Xbox. It was like it's the most generic name. Nat Geo Xbox Connect, maybe, or something like that. <laughs> I sucked at it. You didn't have anything good to say to me in there. Uh, my, my friend's kid just destroyed me. <laughs> so you didn't get the Bring awesome. Next time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Or you suck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so where do you think the state of the industry is going with this wildlife filmmaking? I've been talking to some friends and they're like, you know, we feel like, do uh, you watch the octopus teacher? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Everybody feels like that is more, it's a more interesting way to tell a story than like these blue chip series where you might get, you know, you're shooting bears and it might be three or four different bears that make up one storyline. Right. So it's not like, a, sure. I don't know. How, how do you see it? What type of uh, stuff do you like to shoot or what kind of stories do you like to tell? <laughs> well, I mean, that's a, uh, this, this is where I was talking earlier before we, we started recording this, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of, this is an evolutionary thing to me. I'm ever evolving. I'm changing my mind how I feel about it. And obviously the industry is changing its mind constantly too. Certainly Octopus, Octopus Teacher had an amazing buzz around it. It got eyes on it, uh, a massive amount of eyes. And I think most importantly, it had what I would call recruit, recruited eyes. You know, most people who tune into all the shows we watch are people like ourselves that already care. Um, and I think that it takes a lot to, to get those recruited eyes. I'm a bit of a cynic, man, when it comes to what the state of it is. You know, it's like, you know, I often have to sit back and say, why am I doing this? Or why are we doing this? Are we making a difference? Um, and I often find myself saying no, you know, you know, we get, we get a really cool job. It's better than working at Walmart, pays all right. You know, it's uh, we travel the world. We get to do cool things we want to do. I mean, that's all part of what we, why we do it. We like to suffer. I mean, most of us do. Um, maybe that's why we really do it. Um, but are we really changing the world? Are we really changing people's minds? Is this really, are we saving animals? Um, and sometimes I think, nah, I don't know, really? I mean, maybe we're not. Maybe this is all really a selfish, selfish, fun, cool thing we're doing and going out there. And, and then, you know, then I get an email from somebody that, um, you know, said, I was a kid. I used to watch your show or play your game. Right. And, uh, and I went to college and I'm a wildlife biologist and I, you know, now I'm doing things to save endangered species. I get that email or I'll get a rancher. He'll come up to me once in a while here in Montana and say, you know, I watch your show, man. And, and the way I feel about bears is different now. You've changed my mind. You know, so I hear, I, I get, that's two people. Right. And that does make a difference. Right. I do feel like that's something, but in the grand scheme of things, I wonder, you know, I was in Bristol once with all the producers, all those people we mentioned before. And someone posed to the room that question, like, how many people in here do you th actually think what you're doing is making a difference in conservation in the world? And about 15% of the people raised their hand. Um, so I think if that's the state of the mind of everybody that's in this industry, then we need to think about what we, we got to break the mold. We got to change things up. If, we're, if we are only believing that what we're doing is doing anything and that's why we're doing it, then we better start thinking about how we better change it up. 
Um, so if, if it takes something like Octopus Teacher, something that I think is relatable for the people who don't care, the people whose minds we need to change, um, then we got, yeah, then maybe that's where we got to go. Start doing more of this, you know, these human hybrid interface with wildlife stories. I don't know. I think we got to keep trying a little bit of everything. I know I'm looking at those stories more and more. Um, you know, I think another thing, and I'm sure you guys have talked about this before, but I'm really trying not to do any more is crop out the, the real world. You know, you got this beautiful elk fight happening right over here, but there's a telephone pole right here. You and you got that choice of that to compose that shot. You're pulling it over and you're pulling that, you're, the telephone out of pulling a lot of it, right? And I mean, there's all kinds of that's just a simple little example of it. But you know what that does is it, it just creates this fake kind of Valhalla of wild world that doesn't really exist anywhere. And I think there's an aspect of when you, you when someone sees that elk fighting and they go and they go by the telephone's pole and they have to jump the fence and they cross the road and there's a house in the background. Now this is like those elk become their neighbors, right? That's it's like it's something that they can like that. Oh wait, this is like not out in a place I never can go. This is a place that I could actually go and see. Um, so I think there's a there's a call. I mean, certainly amongst the Vision Hawk team, it's like let's tell stories that people can relate to. You know, and I'm not saying that there's any fault in the planet Earth and the America the Beautifuls and all those big things that we all play games and part part of. I think there's there's obviously they get a lot of eyeballs on them. But I also think we got to be careful with what we're what stories we're telling. You know, I know I've sold footage to those places and they take out all that the fences and the the airplanes and the cars driving about by in the background. And they'll take it, they'll cut it, they'll cut it so it's like in a place that I think for most people that we want to care, it's an, an unachievable place to them. It's, it's a place that's a dreamland. And it's like, why protect it? If it, you know, to them, it's just like, it's, it's another world. But when you reel it in, it's, and it's something that's in their backyard or something that's, that they can go see with their kids or their grandkids might be able to go see, then it becomes something that might be worth protecting. And I think the state of the union amongst filmmakers is that they're all starting to think that we may need to start thinking about things like that. And that's just one example. Yeah. I think the flip side to that was when I was up shooting with Drew for a BBC thing or across the pond thing. And I was constantly trying to frame out the uh, trash that's on the beaches of Alaska, you know, the buoys, the nets, yeah. the, but it's probably better showing that because then people realize, Hey, maybe we shouldn't be throwing away all this plastic or maybe we should take a little bit better care of our whatever nets, whatever the situation I totally is. That. Yeah. I totally agree with that. It's the real world they live in, man. You know, and it, it's, uh, I mean, you can make, you can do it in an innovative way. I mean, there's plenty of times, you know, just, you know, take a halibut for example, and then they'll go out there and grab one of those bears will grab the buoys and play with it for an hour. Right. Um, and that's fun to watch and that, and that'll get people to click on it, but there was on YouTube, a bear playing with a buoy, but then there's a, an important message you can, you can attach to that simultaneously and that actually will change people's minds and make them behave differently. So did you, uh, have any learning? Cause you had Brutus, right? And did you have yes. anything that was similar to the octopus teacher that you learned from Brutus? Oh, Definitely. Yeah, I think I think just in a big general way, um, you know, I 
growing up in Montana, being around grizzly bears a fair amount. Um, even I had kind of preconceived ideas about bears and probably was, you know, much more open-minded. But then when I started, you know, you know, you know give, I'll give a quick background of that to the people who don't know who might be listening. Um, you know, rescuing that bear from an overpopulated wildlife park um, and deciding to start a sanctuary when I was 26 years old and raise a grizzly bear simultaneously while I'm trying to pursue my wildlife filmmaking career. Um, another ridiculous choice that I made in my life, but one I'll never have made. You know, it's just ridiculous. And I look back on it now and it's like, what the hell? Um, but, you know, I think one of the, it, it's one of the greatest decisions I've ever made because it translated, you know, it was interesting because I would go and spend time with Brutus and watch him do things. And I think more importantly is the emotional stuff with him. You know, it was the intelligence and the emotional stuff that he would show me constantly. And then it just, it just starts to open up your mind. You're like, you see this reality in this individual. And then I would even go out in the wild and I would, you know, see other grizzly bears. And I would, you, you start to see those little things that you would never see unless you were, you know, spending all the time I was raising him. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, we, I, I talk about one, one a lot and wrote it in my, my book. Um, you know, I had this time where he was feeling really terrible laying in the ground, in the sanctuary on the ground he dug his big hole and he was laying with his leg kicked up and his belly kind of like a fat man in a recliner. And uh, I knew he was feeling bad. And I just went over and started rubbing his belly. And at this point, he was probably, you know, five, 600 pound bear. And he just kind of loved it. And it's like, oh, and he kind of, you know, just laid back. And then he kind of cupped me with his paw and like pulled me in and was just making eye contact with me. And, and if, when, if you watch um, bears when they're nursing, um, you know, often little cubs are, they'll be nursing and they're always looking up at mom in her face, looking her in the eyes. And um, it's a real emotional connection she's making with, with them, you know, and vice versa. And I would say arguably, you know, especially for large land mammals, um, it's that's got to be one of the strongest bonds in the, in the natural world between the mother bear and her cubs. And, uh, and this is part of that process that creates that bond. And so we had that when, when I was bottle raising him, I'd hold him and he would nurse and he would look me in the eyes. Well, here I am fast forward and he's 500, 600 pounds. And we have this little moment where he's kind of holding me like he would when I was holding, when I was bottle feeding him and he just started looking at me. And when they're nursing and you'll see this, I'm sure Drew's seen it a thousand times when they're nursing, they start, you know, they get all the foam around their mouth and then they actually start getting these little watery eyes. And I used to think the little watery eyes were um, from them sucking you know, that's, that's the obvious decision. You know, the obvious reason why they're doing, they're getting these little watery eyes is because they're sucking and straining and, you know, whatever, that, that's gotta be why. Well, here's Brutus is holding me and I'm having the same moment with him. He just starts getting these little watery eyes. And I realized that in that moment, and it's happened many times after that, that he gets little watery eyes. They're not because he's sucking anything because he wasn't And it, but he's ha sharing this highly emotional moment with me and he's getting tears in his eyes. I mean, and whether he's, well, I don't know what he's feeling. I mean, I could you know, never will know, but I know that in many times when I would have, I had tears in my eyes too. And I know what I was feeling. Right. And so who's to say, I mean, I could be, you know, I, I'm, I try not to go out there into crazy land. I don't, I feel like I'm a pretty conservative scientific minded dude. And uh, I have no other explanation. 
this is just this is i'm just presenting the facts to you all and you can draw your own conclusion um so i think then on some level that was a very octopus teacher way and he just showed me a depth of an animal that i could have that connection with and allowed to see that depth um and again if brutus can feel that way then braveheart can feel that way and all those other bears that were around it braveheart in the river can feel that way and i think that when you look at a scene like at McNeil and you see 43 bears, you see 43 individual bears that have the potential to be emotional and that you look at it differently. I just, I just did an interview actually today and kind of that same question that Mike posed to you was posed to me. And, and I think the, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, like you wildlife biology degree worked for the game and fish department the reason I picked up a camera in the first place was to show people, you know, everything that I was able to see. And then shortly thereafter, it started to be these behaviors like you're talking about that nobody ever takes the time to see because you, you know, in Wyoming, as in Montana, you've got people that are in the woods all the time, but typically they're after one thing, then they're out and they don't take the time to observe. It's just, it's just go and, and you're gone. And it's just one time of the year. So when you have the opportunity to observe these animals, I think the, I don't know, I almost think it's requisite. It's, we're obligated to share those things. And I think, you know, in film, especially you guys that have spent a little, lot more time in film, you and Mike um, and Doug that we had on a couple of weeks ago, you guys share those stories in a different way. And I think that's what drew me to, to want to work with video a lot more than just stills. You can capture those moments in a still, but you can also capture a moment that looks like that moment and, and turn it into something, but it might not be exactly the same, but to just be there to observe those things and to be able to share them with people. I think that does change people's minds. And especially when you can see that on video. And I, yeah, I guess uh, that's what I wanted to kind of add to what you had said earlier about, are we making a difference? I think that we are. And I, you know, I think the biggest issue right now is the disconnect that we have with the natural world. More people have a, a tighter connection with their cell phone than they do with the air that they breathe almost, you know, to a degree. And so I think allowing people to reconnect or providing that connection sometimes you know, it might be a small thing, but it's, it's something. I, I think you're right. I mean, again, I, I don't want to feel sound like I'm a cynic in that way. I think, I mean, if every one of us here changes the mind of one person, it's worth it. And we know we're doing more than that. How do we make 50 minutes into the conversation and just now mentioning that Casey raised a bear? Well, <laughs> he mentioned it earlier. For those of us that were listening, he did say, <laughs> Sorry, I would I go up and, for a minute. <laughs> I would go up and film bears and then I would come, mm-hmm. come home to one. So you kind of, you did allude to it, but I'm glad that Brandon asked that and kind of got us back to that point. So, so I, so I have a question regarding that. So I've touched a lot of bears, never a live bear. What does a live bear feel like? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, like a live okay. bear. <laughs> Thanks for clearing that up for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I like a dead bear that moves. Um, <laughs> it's uh, like there's got to be an energy to it or something. Like, 
Oh, there's an energy to it. Yeah, I think that's the one thing about it. it depends on the bear, too. <laughs> I've touched a few live bears now. It's uh, that sounds ridiculous, but it, I have. Um, you know, we've rescued other bears, I've raised other cubs since then, or help bottle feed them or whatever, get them the next, no, next level. But, um, you know, a bear has the ability to tear your freaking head off at any second, right? And there's an element of that when you touch a live bear, particularly a large large bear um that you know that and the, the fact that it chooses not to um is wonderful but also you but there's a sense of that power that is always there and then there's also the fact that is that restraint that doesn't want to it doesn't want to right and i think there's something beautiful about that um i don't know it's, it's the same thing and like i don't know if you guys i mean i'm not a, an, an equestrian type fella i get bucked off horses more than i'd like to admit but you know, I think the same thing. You're, you're putting yourself on top of an animal that can buck you off or take off one, and it's got a mind of its own. But you build a trust. Uh, there's a, 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 a choreograph, a kind of a choreographed dance of sorts between energies, right? And, and I'm sure, Drew, man, you, when you're guiding, and out, particularly in Alaska, where you are feet away from these animals, um, you know, you 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 start doing things with your body language. That you can't even you can tell you can teach try to teach your guests right but you start doing things you don't even know you're doing and uh and you start to win and you don't even know you're winning and, and but the bear is reading you like a, a book right um and i think when you're touching a live bear there's bears reading you like a book and how you do it and how you know again how, how it feels i think it's there's it's a it's a magical intoxicating thing to be that close to an animal that can kill you um and that decides not to, and it's allowing you to, to share that space and that air with it in that moment. I think that's something about it's really, really amazing. Um, I don't know, you know, and again, I'm a, I'm not, <laughs> I think I'm a pretty conservative minded guy. You know, I, every time I'm around a bear, even Brutus, um, you know, I, I never got complacent around him, you know, uh, every time I stepped near him, I knew that that was always a reality that something bad could happen. And if something did bad did happen, regardless if it was my fault or not, he would pay the price for it. And I think there's a responsibility that I needed to, you know, make sure that that keep keep him safe, right? Um, and then I always have to ask myself, why am I doing this, man? You know, like, what's the point? You know, and I think in, in the evolution of me, Casey Anderson, where, how I've evolved with that. I mean, I'm the, I'm probably one of the biggest anti-captive wildlife guys that you've ever met, and it becomes and it became that way because of the relationship I had with Brutus. You know, I, every day I wish and hope that my sanctuary would go extinct. There's no reason why there's orphan bears running around. There's no reason why there's, there's bears that need to be in captivity. You know, I just assume everything takes care of itself in, out in the wild. Let nature take its course. Um, you know, I, I don't know. It's a, and I'm going on a tangent. Here's a sidetrack. But um, yeah, it's just, uh, it's a funny thing, man. It's a, you know, I... But at the same time, I mean, here's here's a good question. I want to counter back to Drew here. It's like, you know, I just spent another almost a month in coastal Katmai. Um, you know, as you get there and spend those those kind of long days there, you know, we we spent three weeks in in Hollow Bay. Um, you know, you start to you do you, you find yourself getting a little, I hate to use this comparative thing as a whole other can of worms, but you, you start getting a little Timothy Treadwell. You start pushing the envelope, pushing the envelope, but you push the envelope because you feel like you can. 
right? And there's some of those bears there. Like there, I don't know. There's a I don't know what her name. I actually had a conversation with Scott Stone because I want to know what her name is. But she would she would come out of her way to come over to us, and she wanted to be here with us. She wanted to. I mean, plain and simply. I mean, I know bears' behavior. I've been around them for thirty years, and I've like I said, I go home to them every night for twenty. And I I there was no doubt that bear wanted to interact. He wanted to be in our presence, and that you know, and if and if you give me another month there, I'd probably touch that bear. <laughs> and you know and probably you know that's the terrible thing to do and i won't rec- don't say that to, you know don't say that very um rec- i don't want to be reckless by saying that i guess what i'm saying but but i could see where that can be convinced you they could convince you to do that um but out of her will <laughs> you know i i mean maybe when i say i would touch her she probably would have touched me um and i you know it was just one of those things like I don't know. It's just a weird, weird thing. Again, there, there's a big tangent yeah, you, for you. You, you might have not been her first. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I have an idea. I mean, that's a, yeah, exactly. No, I would, I would say not. You know, and it's just, it's one of those things, man. It's just weird. And again, uh, I would say most people shouldn't even ever think about doing something like or having those encounters. I mean, at some level, I mean, they have to be controlled. And but you know, you know, guys like. Drew and guys like Scott Stone and guys like me that have been in those places for a long time. And you guys have been in that particular place much longer than I have and have much more experience. It is funny how intoxicating, how embedded you start to get with these, these individuals particularly. And um, yeah. But frankly, that's, that's a a testament to your field craft because the whole time you're watching her and you're, you're seeing she wants to come over. It's, she's not, if you were putting something else out there, she wouldn't. You know what I mean? Like it's, you, you were behaving in a way that she felt predictable, that she built this trust over a period of time. Uh, it's something whether it yeah. was, I'm sure it's unconscious uh, on your side at this point. It just kind of, you fall back. It is, it's, you know, once you, you go out of bear country and then you come back and you just kind of muscle memory kicks in and you just kind of fall back into it. And you, you start doing those things that you didn't even miss you didn't realize you were weren't doing them when you're uh now the problem is when you come out and you start doing it to people <laughs> start walking down the street going hey bear hey bear get out of here get out of the way <laughs> kind of thing that that's what that's the sign you've been out there too long i think that's true wait yeah they, they don't, the two worlds don't jive very much do they <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna pose this question because you've kind of brought up a couple times the responsibility that we have as as filmmakers and presenters and you know you see the bison the recent uh release of uh a bison film where they talked about and you're you're a yellowstone guy um they talked about soda butte and it you know way in the back country of yellowstone national park there's a a place called soda butte and they don't tell people that it's you know two feet from the highway and the uh cinematographer had to have been resting his camera on a buck rail fence to get the shot that he was getting, you know, none of that. What is your take on, uh, you know, as a cinematographer on, you know, we see these beavers in Grand Teton National Park that there's stuff and cameras down in the, in the den. Now there's, you know, if you go back now, they don't tell you the rest of the story ever, but there's no beavers in that location anymore. They split after they'd been, you know, after that had happened. And, you know, I was on a production where we're encouraged to, 
drill into a den with, with Swift Fox. And he said, you know, the, the Swift Fox will be gone. If we do that, they will go and, and re den elsewhere and we may not see him again, you know, as and and Mike may take some of this out because it's, you know, industry stuff, but, and we all want to keep working, but, uh, What's your what's your opinion on on things like that? I mean, as far as putting the animal first. Oh man, okay. Are you ready for it? You might want to. I can tell you, the older I get, the more I I don't give a shit. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, and by that I mean I don't give a shit who I offend. Um, you know, animals. I think that if you feel like you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing, if you feel like you're gonna, you know, bump a swift fox out of its den, you know knock some beavers out of their territory and you feel like you're doing that, then you are crossing a line and you shouldn't be doing it. Um, and if you don't, if you can't sense if you're going to do that or not, um, then you shouldn't be out in the field anyway. Um, I'm, I, you know, there's so many charlatans and posers and shortcut makers in our industry. And this is a competitive industry. Let's, Let's not be wrong. We're all we're all on the same page and all trying to do the same thing, but at the same time, we're all fighting at the same. You know, and I'm have no. Uh, I'm not going to hesitate to say this. You know, it's competitive, and I want to win. I want to be the guy people uh, call up and want to get the job, and I don't. And I'm not going to take the shortcuts. And if I'm not going to take the shortcuts, and the shortcut people are going to start, and they're going to get the jobs over me, then I'm going to call their asses out. Um, I'm not afraid to, um, because what they're doing is wrong. I mean, I, I've seen Wolverine documentaries recently where I know that Wolverine's been baited. I've heard the stories about it being baited. Um, I know the area it's in. I know that that's what happens there. But they leave that part out. Um, I'm pissed off about it because I, I know I had a, a near green line on Wolverine project that got black flagged because they had this amazing footage of this Wolverine. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> there, this, stuff, this kind of stuff happens all the time in industry. Um, and, uh, I mean, I think that there's more and more people that are policing it. There's more and more accountability, but in the end, it comes down to the buyers the networks, the streamers, they don't care. You know, they are, they might care. They just don't want to know how it's made. They don't want to know the secrets of how the sausage is made. And, you know, if you can, you know, what happens in the field stays in the field and you can get that cool swift flock shot. Um, but you know, you, you basically have ruined us what are they threatened species or endangered they were species? they were threatened now. they're protected uh, now they're not they're no no longer yeah i mean but now you've bumped them out of their den <laughs> yeah you know it's uh and that you know and there's some people that argue say well you know the story that we told by bumping that that's the collateral damage but now you know three swift foxes will be saved because of this film and that one swift fox doesn't matter it's a, it's the the net of two well, that's bullshit. <laughs> um, figure it out. Figure out a way to do it without being uh, so abrasive and imposing yourself on them. I think that's, you know, spend the time. Take your time. Be innovative. There's ways that you can get your stuff, your shots. Um, and if you can't, then heck, I don't know. It's it, I'm, I'm more for, you know, telling the story that you can't. I mean, I think that's part of it. That's interview. You know, this is a super sensitive situation, and we can't do it, so we're backing out. I think, I think audiences will appreciate that as much as any as seeing a shot that's been fabricated. Anyway, there's my rant. 
<laughs> well, I, I think there's been a, a market and a big uptick lately in, in what I've branded as uh, ego-based conservation. And I don't know, somebody else might've thought of that too, but there was, there's this clip on, on, I don't know, the internet uh, of a guy in some fjord in Greenland uh, paddle boarding after a polar bear. And it, from a, somebody who's spent a lot of time with bears and you're reading that bear's behavior, that bear was not digging it. And well, one, if something goes wrong, I guarantee they had a gun in the boat. Like that was, the bear was going to pay the price. And, you know, this is posted on social media and several of us called him out and he basically said he was above the law because he's doing conservation. And like that, what he was doing was a federal offense in the United States. Like just, just because you're, you're, you don't have big brother looking over your shoulder doesn't mean it's right. And, uh, and there were, there were well-established conservation photographers commenting, say, oh, that's so cool. And I'm like, no, that is not. And then it, it perpetuates itself where people see that. I mean, he's sponsored by, he's tagging Dell, like all the, you know, big companies that don't want to see how the sausage is made. But this is, this was like, as a former law enforcement official, I was, my blood was boiling. I was like, let's get this sucker. But, uh, but no, it's. It's social media that that minute has passed. And, and so, you know, when we were talking about octopus teacher and these, these human dramas mixed into it, there's, there's definitely a lot of good that can come from that, but there, there's definitely a line that needs to not be crossed in, in so many things. Um, and I think there's been a lot, a lot of that lately. And so I've been <laughs> maybe not in the podcast, but on all my tours, we've been calling it out pretty hard. I think we got to, we got to, we got to police ourselves, man. I, I know it's, it's dangerous because you're worried about the next job and, you know, but I think you got to call it out. I think that, I don't know. I mean, I get, I, I'm, I'm in business long enough. I guess I'm not that worried about it at some level. And I, you know, even as I told, told the stories I did, I know that I'm probably going to get if people listen to this podcast. They're going to tell me, I might get some hate, you know, Hey buddy, what are you, what, what are you talking about? Um, I don't care. Um, cause it's, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's not right. I mean, again, it is that fine line. I mean, as, as I've hosted so much stuff, you know, you know, I found you, you find yourself pushing closer and, you know, again, I want to go back and just say, you know, like when I talk about touching the bear, I mean, I would never, never do that. Um, as particularly wouldn't do it on camera. Um, and it's, and that sounds ridiculous, you know, it sounds bad to say it that way, but it's just like, I have to be very careful about how I present myself because people are going to go try to do that shit at the same time. And you don't want that to happen. Um, you know, and it's hard to give the disclaimer that, you know, I've been doing this X amount. I'm doing this. I've got all these safety things and, and protocols and, and, you know, a good field craft. Um, that doesn't, you know, people aren't going to listen to that stuff. Um, I mean, and let's be honest, man. I like just going back to your story. I mean, paddleboarding, that's ridiculous in itself. <laughs> I mean, it's the most inefficient way to move on the water. It doesn't even make sense. Um, anyway, <laughs> he's, he's just asking for it. I think the thing is nowadays is you, and I've stood by this from the get go and anybody that's watched me and, and hopefully you guys will agree. You've got to lead by example. When you have these situations in these really popular places, whether it's Denali or Yellowstone or Churchill, while our field craft might be good enough to go out there and do something, Anybody that's watching doesn't know that. So they think that they're on par with you. And then if you can do it, I can do it. 
they don't know that we have 15, 20, 30 years doing this sort of thing. They just think that they can go do it. And so you have to just forego those awesome opportunities at times because you're just going to set the wrong example. And then when you do put it up on social media, think about all those people that have no clue that think that that's a cool thing. No context. It's true. Zero. No context. All right. We got to get it back. No. It, we got to get it back on a positive note because you got <laughs> too much. We got too much we got good whiny. stuff to talk about. We did, we did a little bit. We took a trip to the dark side, but we're coming back. <laughs> uh, Casey, what's the favorite, favorite project you've ever worked on? My favorite project, um, I really like it. <laughs> the dark side's fun. Really. That's what makes it so attractive, right? <laughs> so it's hard yeah, to come I back. Think, I mean, yeah. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the dark side. Yeah. Um, favorite project I ever worked on. Gosh, these are, these are hard. You know, I, favorite project I worked on, but not necessarily the favorite project, uh, how it ended up. And I think you probably all know what I mean. They probably all have had a taste of that. Um, there's a, a series or a hour special called Mountain Lion and Me. Um, and it was about this mountain lion that lives basically right here in my backyard. She did for yeah about eight years, but I followed and tracked her for about six. First couple, I just was walking and following her tracks, never saw her. And then as I started to learn her patterns and stuff, um, started imp implementing some technology, camera traps, thermal, thermal imaging. Um, and then about the time vision hawk lifted off and I got my vision, you know, my shot over in my truck, I made this film, I, I could. And uh, I had been told over and over again that no one was gonna commission a, uh, a show about wild mountain lions in North, in North America. Um, because every time they did, they just got a show of people looking for mountain lions and not buying them. So that was the challenge of that was a, a big part of why I wanted to do it. But I wanted to tell these this elusive cat story. And it was an animal that, you know, growing up in Montana at the time, I probably only seen like six of them in the wild. And now I had this, you know, through tracking and spending a lot of time started getting this female dialed in and um, where I was seeing her almost every day with my, you know, with my naked eye, you know, seeing her out there. And then there was a stint there when I was filming. I filmed her every day for about a month. Um, and that just is incredible. So here I have this opportunity to tell a visual story of one of the most elusive animals on the planet. Uh, one who was raising kittens on the fringe of humanity in my backyard. And I, it, was a, it was a very cool story. And I spent, I mean, again, you know, invested eight years in that cat. Uh, spent about a year and a half properly filming her. And what unfolded was really cool. So that was my, by far, probably my favorite project because it was just, it was so personal to me. Um, yeah, just that, you know, I deeply fall in love with that individual cat, that species. I mean, it's, it was always, Mountlands have always been kind of my favorite. Don't tell Brutus and the others <laughs> that, but they just become, this, they're so challenging. They're so challenging. And I love the fact of when people say it can't be done. You know, if it lives and breathes on the earth and leaves a track, which everything does, I can, I can find it. I believe that. And, uh, yeah. Why not well, try? if you, uh, put your hat in the ring for a Wolverine show, that's another one of those elusive creatures. Yeah. That... It is. I got, I got some good spots though. Um, 
yeah but I, again i i want to you know i'll i will do a, a good wolverine show at some point because i know i can and i uh it's i think they're an animal is you know like many highly misunderstood um there's not there's just nothing out there on them you know every the science changes constantly about them because it's just no one there is none they're, they're painted as <laughs> and, such uh, vicious creatures and they're just I mean, I've seen more in the last year than I ever have, and there is no, I mean, I didn't feel threatened at any one time. No. No, I mean, they're just curious mustelids that just, yeah, they have the potential to protect themselves if you mess with them, right? And, uh, but other than that, they're shy, and they're, but they're playful, they're, they're highly uh, social when they come around each other, they love to spend time with each other playing, um, yeah, that's some of the things that I've seen. All the things that you don't, that, you know, you don't want to believe in a wolverine, right? You want to think about him as everybody wants to think about this animal that can eat a grizzly bear and fight wolf packs. <laughs> and, um, but in the end, they're mostly just giant clowns, <laughs> like most of the animals that are just loving life out there. And yeah, that's uh, that's the story that needs to be told. Um, I think you know, does fall in love with you'll fall in love with that animal and care about its habitat being destroyed a little a lot easier than the vicious animal where. I did learn a life up for that one. I did learn a life lesson about a wolverine, and that's uh, don't try to sneak up on them when they're eating. <laughs> <laughs> well, any, I think that's yeah, I think that's yeah. a good lesson for the Indian. Yeah, you're you're a bear guy. I think that lesson would have been learned a long time ago. <laughs> well, I think that you know, like a lot of the mustelids, man, like uh, protect badgers, for example. I mean, they. I think they're. I so I had worked with some wolverines in captivity um, early on in my life. When I was about eight, 17, 18. Um, and we, you know, handling, handling them and being around them, you start to learn things. And, and they're like a lot like bears and badgers are a little nearsighted. Um, so often as you approach them, they don't even know you're there to the last second. And that's just their thing. Make a lot of noise, dig in, make a lot of flash, you know, back the hell off, you know, and that's what they do. Um, but a, a lot of it is bluff. It really is. They'll just come right to you and, if you don't engage, they just they'll just hold their ground and back up. Um, it's just hard to not you know to stand your ground. Um, yeah, I, I think that yeah, I don't, I don't I would never sneak up on a wolverine. <laughs> well, we'd spend all day with it, and uh, I don't know. It was it was hunting foxes. This is at McNeil, and it got one of the fox kits uh, from the the den behind the behind my cabin, and it had been it had been running like through our legs earlier and it would just look through you. Like we were of no consequence to it. It had its nose down. It's just going, going, going. And then it got one of the Fox kits and was in this elderberry bush. And Tony and I were trying to like look in there and it just popped its head out and goes, and we're like, okay, (laughs) back up, back up. (laughs) That's a cool animal. I think the one thing I love about them is just that they like grizzly bears, but particularly Wolverines is that they, they don't get in their own way. Um, I see a lot of that same in my little girl. Like she hasn't learned to get in her own way yet. That's why she climbed that 11th elephant peak. She wasn't thinking about what she's going to eat next or when she's going to, what she's got to do tomorrow. And she wasn't thinking about it, even how her legs were aching. You know, she was just, she was going to get to the top of the mountain and um, one step at a time. And a Wolverine, man, they just don't get in their own way. They don't, they don't, they don't come up with excuses. They just, just go where they want to do, go and do whatever the hell they want to yep. do. I love it. So you have a podcast. Tell us a little bit about your podcast and what the why you came up with it and what you're talking about on that thing. 
Uh, yeah, Sidetracked with Casey Anderson, which is going to have a different name. But if you follow Sidetracked with Casey Anderson or go to visionhawkfilms.com, you'll see whatever we change the name to. But Sidetrack was, uh, <laughs> I mean, just that, man. I mean, as a tracker, um, we'd like, you know, I wanted to use some, it was a double, double meaning there, right? Oh, I get it now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but we, if you know me, and as you guys have in the next last hour or so we've spent together, I'm easily sidetracked. Um, you know, I've, easy, you know, so I think that I wanted to do a podcast where we would, you know, talk just like you we are right now i think and you know dive into some of these issues but let let the conversation go where it, it may and i think once you're when you're around interesting people talking about interesting stuff this the discovery of the, in the conversation of other of other things off your agenda um that often are the best bits of banter um and so i think that's kind of what that that was was born of so i, I mean i tackle everything on it from getting lost to uh living amongst predators um i mean there's all kinds of things cheetah conservation in zambia i mean we i talked to all kinds of different people um yeah and it's funny i mean i one of the one of my favorite ones are not probably the favorite of most guests or maybe it is but one of my good buddies a guy named andy brandy casagrande i don't know if you guys know who he is but he's a shark shark guy oh man i listened to a podcast that he did on the master of wildlife filmmakers Oh yeah, so very similar. Yeah. If you listen to that one. He, he, the guy just put a quarter <laughs> in the guy. He, he talks, and you know, we we've covered everything from sharks, grizzly bears, cocaine, hookers. I mean, it went everywhere. I mean, it was everywhere, and it was. He's uh, <laughs> it, a fun, fun guy, but it just like, but you know, there were some real gems moments in there, just real thoughtful, philosophical um, things about him and his family and shark conservation too. Um, but I love, that's what I love. I love the, how it just letting it breathe, letting it go, let, letting the people be people and talk about whatever they want to talk about. And all everybody can get sidetracked together and go down every rabbit hole they want to. Oh, we do that constantly. <laughs> we wild, exposed, and definitely distracted. <laughs> so Christmas is coming. And for the photographer in your life, Make sure you visit Precision Camera. Make sure you use the promo code 50 off of 500 to get $50 off a purchase of $500 or more. But make sure you get all your camera gear from Precision Camera. And we were just down there doing a presentation and uh, we were in the shop and they got tons of stuff. I mean, the used gear that they have in those cabinets was incredible. So if you're, you don't have gear, to buy new stuff correct use gear and the outgoing models uh, for instance the r6 is being replaced by the r6 mark ii they've got plenty of r6s that they are making good deals on also while you're doing your christmas shopping filling your christmas lists make sure you hit the wild and exposed store as well and get the it depends t-shirt for everybody on your christmas list because I'm sure everybody answers every question with it depends, right? When you get a camera question. There's no question that can't be answered with it depends. <laughs> Casey, one of the things I wanted to ask you about and or kind of bring up for our audience is I've seen on your social media, particularly your Instagram feed, there's been a couple bear attacks lately that have been publicized, gone viral. And there's there's good and bad to that, right? And one of the things that you've done is kind of broken down some of those behavioral 
cues that people can look at as well as, Hey, we don't, we don't want to belittle necessarily the person that's in this situation. We weren't there. We don't know exactly what happened, but here's some things that you can think about to kind of train your mind for those that are in those situations to be, uh, think about you, you train your mind and you tend to react in that way. So could you kind of touch on those breakdowns? There was one in, in Wyoming and uh, those four young men didn't have any, you know, they, they did have some, some sort of a clue that the bear was there. They saw a lot of scat. They saw a lot of sign, uh, but they didn't know exactly where the bear was. This, there's another that was a black bear um, that was uh, on a cliff face. And it was kind of, it, it continued to go up the the cliff face at what appeared to be at the hiker. But there was, there was more to that video that wasn't necessarily shown on the part that went viral. So could you kind of touch on those and, and your breakdown of those instances and what people might think about in the future? Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you bringing that up. I, I think the more and more there's people out in the woods these days, everybody's got a cell phone, everybody can video these moments. And then those moments often become viral videos. And then when they're on, they're on that platform and they're gone viral, they're open for interpretation. And often there's no, I wouldn't, I hate to use the word expertise, but there's no like real knowledge behind those posts or no one, there's not a, a learn. I find that there's a real good learning moments there, good teaching moments there. Um, and so I've kind of, yeah, I've taken it on by myself. You know, I, I see these things for what they are and I want to kind of interpret what's actually happening there. And then more so if people find themselves in those situations, what they could do to maybe come out on the other end of it. And again, you're right. I think a lot of these things that we're seeing is no fault to the people that are in them. Usually there are people have stumbled into these bad situations. They're reacting the way that they're going to react. Um, good or bad and and sometimes people surprise me and do the good thing and sometimes people do the wrong thing and I think it's those are important teaching moments again um you know one of one of the one you know, mount couple a couple mountain lion ones there was a real uh, popular one where the kid was running down the trail in Utah and ran into a mount lion and her kittens and then she came out at him very aggressively for a very long period of time um real classic behavior of a female protecting her kittens but all the headlines and all the comments i saw was you know this cat was going to kill him and eat him you know she was stalking him to kill him and eat him and it was all wrong right and it's this misinformation that kind of gives these animals a bad name it was a mom protecting her young and that needed to be spelled out to the masses and i think that people listen to me a little bit i think i've got that that platform that they'll actually listen and respect no matter what side of the wildlife conservation they sit on. So I think it's important for me to try to do those interpretations. That mountain lion incident in particular, you were talking about the, you know, the expertise being missing. That one was completely missing context. You know, when it, the clip or the portion of the clip that was actually shown because there was, there was more video when the young cat was crossing the trail and the guy was actually closing distance. Well, you know, in that one in particular, he kind of put himself in that situation where mom's going to have to do something. He did. And she, you know, and she was coming very uh, defensive, aggressive to him and he was backing away and she, he, he was doing exactly what she wanted him to. So she just kept her foot to the, you know, pedal to the metal and because I'm going to keep doing this. 
But she was all bluff, you know, it was all, I'm just going to keep moving this guy back, get him away from my kittens. And yeah, out of context, you see this aggressive cat come at you. But with all those mountain lion situations, you know, the bottom line is if mountain lions killing deer, elk or whatever, those deer and elk never see that thing coming. And so if, if a cat's going to try to kill you, you're never going to see that thing coming. So in all these cases where you have a cat confronting you, um, it's usually because they're defending something like they're young or they're just, there's a, you know, I've seen cats, you know, you'll see them and they actually squat down and, and kind of come towards you because they're getting closer to maybe a, a bush that's closer instead of farther away. And they're just going to go to that to hide. But people think they're getting stalked. And that cat is actually going to cover and just watching you, right, and trying to hide. Um, but out of context, you think this cat's stalking you and trying to kill you. And the bottom line is if a cat wanted to kill you, it's, you're never going to see it coming. So did that kid do that? the thing right then as he was backing off that is that the right approach it's a tough one it worked for him right he backed away he lived to tell the story um when it, when a mountain lion is doing that honestly you can immediately end it by being kind of counter-aggressive you just if you just say ah and just scream and throw stuff at it or whatever cats can't handle that it would have just ran away it's hard to tell people to do that because <laughs> most people are not going to i mean at least you can say just hold your ground um, the reason why it went off so long is because he was backing away. Um, I think you also got to be careful. You the same with bears. You just, there's a general thing when you're telling people, you know, don't back away. Um, that is a good, a good lesson. Don't back away. Cause if a cat is thinking about eating you, then you are kind of kicking into that, that predatory, um, instincts that they might have and they might, might provoke that. Um, so standing your ground, um, being loud, you know, throwing stuff. I mean, all animals think throwing is magic, right? They're, we're the only animals that really can do it well. And anytime you start throwing things, they're just like, what is going on here? This is the strangest thing I've ever seen. It just kind of blows their mind. Um, and so I think that 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 helps a lot, throwing stuff, uh, especially with an aggressive cat. Um, now, yeah, I got to talk about this bear. The bear is the kids in Wyoming. I haven't given a real good rebuttal to that yet. I want to. Um, and I'll tell you why, because all the headlines, you know, again, I, I don't want to take away from these kids. They're alive. They, what they did for each other was amazing, you know, sticking up for each other. But in the end, the headlines were basically celebrating the fact that they fought this bear and that they're lucky. They are lucky that they didn't die. You know, I would love to do the interview. I mean, what I think that maybe they overwhelmed that bear and that bear decided that it wasn't going to, to fight anymore that day. But in most cases, we all know a defensive bear, if you fight, you're just asking for a bigger fight. And um, and I, I, I hate that the headlines, I mean, all every big news station in today's show, Good Morning America, all of them, I just had these kids on and it's like, you know, your friend stuck up, you guys fought this grizzly bear off. And I just think it was the most terrible information. You know, you, it worked for those kids, luckily. I mean, one of them got his face ripped off a bit, and that's because he was screaming, guaranteed. Um, but I think that I, I would love to sit down and interview those kids. And I think I'm actually we're working on trying to, because I, I want to really pull that what the, that story is without taking anything away from them. While they may have done some things right, um, they mostly did things wrong. And it's hard to say that because they lived. Right. But there's a lot there that they did, they did wrong. 
Um, and I'm not afraid to confront it because it's the truth. And I don't want other people to die. And other people to think that if a bear attacks them, that they're going to go, they should go attack, you know, on the counter attack and fight it. Cause that's not the right thing to do. I know I've interviewed probably 20 grizzly attack survivors and also probably another dozen uh, situation where someone was with somebody who was killed or just uh, investigate a, a, a grizzly bear attack scene where people are killed. And I'm here to tell you that 99% of the time when you fight back, you either look funny for the rest of your life or you're dead. Um, that's just the way it goes. So where do you put this? Is this stuff on your Instagram feed or where? I, I think I saw one of those. Is it something? It's not a story, right? It's something that stays there. Yeah, we usually put up, you know, so I, I'm going to start doing this. I, mean, I just think it's just something that's important because there can be so many more of these. And if, and I'm only going to do it if I think I really can look at the behavior and really understand it. And no, I'm not going to pretend like I, I know if I don't. But if there's, um, if I can interpret it and these big viral things come out, I'm going to continue to do I'm just kind of give a voice to what's going on there. Because I think a lot of people want to know. And they see these things and, you know, a guy with his handgun out or a cat coming at him and he, shoots and misses and you know everybody you know they think that everybody that the cat's going to kill and eat him um i want to tell them that's not what's happening there um and i want to talk about defensive uh predators with handguns and how poor of a choice that is i mean i want there's lots of good learning stuff there um yeah i'm going to keep posting them on my instagram my facebook um I'll, we're going to put them on my youtube channel um yeah i think that they're it's an important thing we that i got to keep doing well, I, th I think it's important. I mean, if you look at law enforcement, military training, you know you're going to go into some dangerous situations. You put yourself there in your mind first. And so anytime we have the opportunity to see these things and then we you can kind of dissect it or listen to somebody who's been in the field, got a lot of experience with these animals and listen to it and train your mind to react you know, the, the likelihood of you doing everything perfect is very slim because these things are happening in the blink of an eye. But if you don't put your mind there first and prepare yourself for it, you're not going to do anything right for sure. So it gives you an opportunity to kind of prepare for a worst case scenario and hopefully give you some tools in the tool bag that, that can get you out of one of those bad situations. I mean, that's well put. That's exactly what we're trying to do. I mean, that's really is, it's, memory i mean all that stuff you just get reminded a little bit it, it's amazing how you will sit back into that way a little bit something you might have heard on instagram um it might save your life you know i, I again I, I mean every time we go out in the field um with my team and we always we recap all that stuff to ourselves even though we've been there a million times because i think it's important because you do when you're in that situation when shit hits the fan um it's surprising what people do they're never what you you know it's never what you think usually um, but if you you sit there and you remind yourself over and over and over again, it gives you a better chance that you might do the right thing. People ask me all the time, you know, because they see the pictures of the video that we shoot and they're like, well, how big was the gun that you had? And I'm like, I don't carry a gun. I couldn't hit the broadside of a barn with a gun. You, the adrenaline, there's just no way. Bear spray, at least you have a a shot at spraying something somewhere. Yeah. I mean, gosh, it's. I think there's so many tools we can use. I mean, yeah. I don't carry any kind of firearm either. Um, I have, I've brought them with just to make other people feel secure, but I often I've just, it's just part of the, the game. Right. Um, I would never, I never use it. And I do, I, I again, you, you read over and over. I've witnessed 
and, and interviewed people that when you introduce firearms, usually someone gets shot or the animal just becomes more angry and tears your face off even more. Uh, just the way it is. Well, I guess you could use it for noise, right? I mean, I could see that happening just to make some noise, but I'd much rather be prepared in another way. I mean, if there's one bit of advice from all those interviews and stuff that I've, and I always I keep saying over and over, man, when it comes to a bear attack, this is one of the hardest things I think for anybody to, I mean, I think instinctually you're, you go there, but it's one of the greatest bits of advice I could give you. If you are ever attacked by a bear, do not scream. Do not scream. Don't scream. Um, everything, I mean, just every, all that facial and neck injuries that happen all are provoked by that sound. I mean, that, it's so deeply instilled in them to sh make the noise stop by crushing your head like a grape. And that is just it. And I mean, as hard as it would be, and you're getting attacked by a bear not to scream. Again, I just I hammer that into everybody. Just don't do it. Because that is 100% of all of those interviews and, and conversations I've had. Um, so if people start screaming, the attack turns right to their face and their head and their neck. This has been kind of a, a roller coaster. We've had, you know, we started on a high note, then we kind of dug into some dark things, and then we we kind of brought it back. Now we're back in the dark again, <laughs> just as we kind of wrap it up. But I, I think it's, we have to get it out there. It's, you know, again, it just gives people an opportunity to prepare and, and most people that end up in those situations, it's like, you know, don't pet the fluffy cows. You can tell people and tell people and tell people, but they're going to continue to get gored by a buffalo because, or a bison, because they won't, they won't heed the, heed the warnings. So it happens every year. So the, the bear recovery in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem has been going on for a long time. And up until about, well, just a few years ago, there had never been an attack on a white cow. No Charley cattle were ever, and they were right in the heart of grizzly country, were ever predated by a grizzly bear. And that, that just changed recently. That's, that's no longer the case, but I don't know what it was. I mean, they're bigger cattle, but. Well, the, so I, I can give you a little more detail on that story. Uh, I think I have some. So in Tom Minor Basin, where there's probably one, uh, arguably one of the most. The cattle there are actually these, it's, they're, uh, they're not Charlays, but they're white. They're called like ancient white. Some, I can't wish I could remember off the top of my head. They're a very specific breed of cattle that have a very innate, like I would call it a bison kind of mentality where they really will, they'll come up and, you know, they'll gather up and they're pretty counter, counter aggressive to any predator. And that's why that the B bar ranch there that has those cattle, that's why they chose that breed because of this behavior. And it was successful and until yeah, one year, I think a couple of years ago, there was a big male grizzly was in there playing whack-a-mole with them for a while and killed like four. Um, yeah. Same thing happened down uh, near Carter, Carter mountain near Cody, Wyoming. The, uh, I think it was the hoodoo ranch. I'm, I'm probably wrong about that, but anyway, they had Charlotte cattle and it, same type of behavior. So they, they just didn't predate on them, but that has changed. All you need is one individual who's fearless and that's going to change, right? 
Well, Casey, I'm really glad. I, I when we were talking about scheduling you on here, I, I had him wait until after polar bear season so I could I could jump on and chat with you because we hadn't had a chance to catch up and and so long. So it's it's good to good to hear your voice and hear uh, that you're doing so well. And uh, yeah, can't wait to get back out in the field with you. I agree, man. I'm glad I'm glad that uh, you were able to make it, and I'm glad we coordinated that way. We, gosh, I could talk bears with Drew forever. Uh, we could probably go on for another five hours of just talking bears. But now I think that's the main. Yeah, let's get back in the field together. I think we've got a couple of little leads to do so. Um, let's continue the conversation, figure out a way to get back in the field. And then on the next time I'm on the podcast, we can talk about all the shenanigans that we got ourselves into, all the cool things we saw. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm just going to find out where camp is and, the, and then it's going to be game on. Yeah, I mean, we're all in the biz together. That's the one thing I'm surprised, you know, we – we all ought to, we'll probably all end up working together at some point, hopefully. Let's figure out. That's the thing. It's all it's all about that, man. It's all about good relationships, working with people you want to, getting out in the field and having fun and uh, telling some cool stories that hopefully make a difference. Thanks a bunch for your time, Casey, and uh, look forward to hearing you on Sidetracked with Casey Anderson or whatever it is that you choose to name it in the future and let us know so we can get that out for people as well. And to get more of uh, more of the insight on some of these viral videos, I think I think it's valuable for people. I'm happy to do them, and I appreciate I appreciate the time today, guys. And uh, yeah, it's been really fun chatting with you, Casey. Before we jump off, and, and uh, we're we're ready to do that, but where else can people find you? If you just go ahead and lay out your website and your Instagram handle, so people can find you on those platforms yeah instagram and facebook it's at grizzly guy um yeah if you want to look up uh, with some websites visionhawkfilms.com and caseyanderson.tv uh yeah I mean, we keep things all the updates on all those platforms are pretty pretty active instagram um my facebook uh super active really i got a group of followers that are super interactive um yeah facebook's kind of getting going down the on the wayside it seems like so i'm trying to convert over and hang out with all the cool kids thinking about it, doing a tiktok haven't done it yet but probably will have one before the end of the year yeah we'll see <laughs> all right well thank you all for listening to another episode of wild and exposed you've been listening to the wild and exposed podcast if you haven't yet please give us a rating and a review and make sure you're subscribed so that you'll get every episode we produce as soon as we drop it and as always Thanks for tuning in. We're gonna make it someday. Nothing's gonna get in our way.